Welcome, Nexus Church family, to the third week in our series, Love Where You Live. In this series, we're examining what does it mean to be a person who helps your place of residency thrive. That's kind of a lot of weird words all in one sentence. But the point of the matter is, is we want to love where we live, not just exist there, not just sleep and go do what we have to do during the day and come back and and do it all again tomorrow, right? Like, we are examining how can we make an impact in this world. And in this series, we've been looking at First Peter and just seeing the reality that Peter was writing to a bunch of people who were spread out, not because they wanted to, but because of persecution. Persecution had come upon them because they had come to believe in Jesus as the only way to the Father. And so the people around them didn't like them for a variety of reasons. And so they had to go out and do exactly what we would read in Acts 1-8, where Jesus told his fathers that he was going to send the Holy Spirit when he went to be with the Father. And they would be then a witness to not just Jerusalem, but to Judea, the places surrounding it, Samaria, the places even further from it, and to the ends of the earth. And so Peter's writing to these people in retrospect to what Jesus had said and said, this is what what Jesus was talking about, and now you're doing it. But as exiles, as people who are put someplace that is not their home, here is how you live. And as we have covered over the last few weeks, we've seen that we are to be a person who watches over the place where God has placed us. We are to take care of, to serve and to be a person who pours into our community. And as we've seen, this is not an easy task. We live in a broken world. And as we covered last week, we are, we are surrounded by situations that we would rather not be in. But as, as exiles today, we, we are exiles on this earth, as we've come to see. And as this is not our home, we've been left here for a purpose to do, to see the places where we are put, this broken world that we are surrounded by. We are to be, as we learned last week, zealous for what is good. And that's not easy because sometimes we are in situations, we are around people who are really difficult. And we briefly looked at that last week. And so today we want to dive in even further of what does it look like when we are called to love people who really are hard to love. The people who, man, we would just rather not have to wake up tomorrow morning. And if it was up to us, and then even in our prayers, we probably have said something along the lines of, God, could you just take that person out of my life? I don't want them dead by all means. I just... Could you put them in a different class at school? Could you promote them or promote me, maybe even better, to a different place where I don't have to deal with that person anymore? Now it gets even harder when you're talking about family, but we won't go that far. So today, instead of focusing on God taking those people away from us or removing ourselves into a different situation, I want to talk about how can we find ourselves in these situations and not just exist, not just kind of have to put up with the people, but actually love them. And we see this in First Peter chapter 1, where Peter looks out at the people, all of these exiles, 
And now, of course, he's not literally seeing them, but in his mind's eye, in his heart, he is thinking of them. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes to them and he says to them in First Peter chapter one and verse 22, he says, show sincere brotherly love for each other. Now, he's just not talking necessarily about Christians here. He's talking about the places where God has placed them or where has God has allowed them to take residency. To show brotherly love. For each other. Now, <laughs> really? <laughs> like, that seems almost impossible, right? I- I'm sure you're probably thinking of somebody right now that you're like, all right, God, you want me to show brotherly love to that person. That's impossible. Do you know what they've done to me? What my- they've done to my family? You've placed this person in my life, and I am supposed to be the light to them. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to serve them. I'm supposed to watch over them. I'm supposed to care for them. Now, I want to be very clear up front. I'm not saying that people should be abused, that you should allow people to run all over you and just be okay with it. That's not okay. But even in those situations, how can you love that person? I'm not going to get into every detail because every relationship, every person you run into is going to have different ways of how to engage them one-on-one. But today, we're going to look at the verses that precede this small little verse in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And we're going to see how Peter builds up to that statement. This is not a standalone statement where he's just flippantly saying, go show brotherly love towards one another. And we will unpack what brotherly love is. It's just not a, oh, I like you, or I'm going to put up with you. Like this is a sincere, deep love that he's talking about. And so let's go to verse 13 in first Peter chapter one. And we're going to, I'm going to read through it quickly. And then we're going to come back and unpack kind of little tiny sections at a time, a few verses at a time, and build upon that to the point where we get to verse 22 and we read, show brotherly love to one another. Here we go. 1 Peter 1, 13. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. That's so good. Continues on. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. 
Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth so that you show sincerely brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. Okay, that's a lot. There's so much good stuff that, man, we could spend weeks on this very short little passage in First Peter. But first, we're going to start right at the beginning and then, again, not go through it thoroughly, but in sections. And so verse 13, I just want to read that again and then start there. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First and foremost, as exiles, as strangers, as he kind of changed it here in this little section, we are here as just a temporary placement, right? God created us in our mother's womb. Before time began, he knew who we would be. And for such a time as this, he's placed us here as exiles to return to him someday. If we're followers of him. And so we are to be a watchman. We're supposed to take care of this land. We're to love those in this land, even the most difficult. And in order to do that, he says, first and foremost, what I want you to do is set your hope completely on what is to come on Jesus' return, on his redemption of you, and you get to meet him face to face, and you get to spend all of eternity in his presence, you are to focus on that. That right there could be the end of this message, honestly. Like if we can get that in our hearts and in our minds and constantly put it there every single day, this is not our home. This is not our home. This is not what we live for. We live for another day where we will be in perfection. Like in the presence of God with the beauty of him surrounding us in complete harmony. Where there's no evil. There's no no illnesses or abuses or ailments or broken appendages. We will live in the presence of the Almighty in perfection. Set your hopes on that. Be mindful of that. Now, with this statement, there's an implication in there. The implication is that there can be a partial or a waning hope. I think this is very predominant when when i was a first follower of christ like there are so many people who just constantly referred back to to putting our hope in jesus and his return in our reunion with him like it was a constant thing and it's something that that i don't hear a whole lot of anymore is this this particular verse so i think that what peter is saying here is like this is going to be a temptation for you there will be times where you forget that this is not your home. You're going to forget of the, the true place that you have and how awesome it's going to be. 
You're going to want to give up and, and say it's not worth it. But return. Return to that hope. You, you're looking around, oh, exile. They're, they're, they're persecuting you. Like, we have no concept of what true persecution is in the Western world. Like, it, it just, it's not a reality. What we think is persecution is, is ridiculous. I mean, not to say that, that things aren't against or bent against followers of Christ because we live in a world that, that, that is filled with the enemy who absolutely hates our souls. It, it, it hates because we are made in the image of God, right? So I'm not belittling that. But at the same time, when Peter's writing to these people, they're like being burned at the stake because they say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Like that's something we can't even relate to. But in the middle of that, Paul, uh, Peter is saying, okay, you exiles, remember, you're going to want to give up. You're going to want to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not a follower of Jesus because you see that, that stake that they have sitting there open. It's for you. Like, remember. That your proclamation of Jesus, your stand for truth, for him as the only way to the Father, your stand is worth it because your reward is much greater than the pain you will experience. And so he kept bringing them back to that point. But how how do you keep your hope in the middle of, of persecution? Or how do you keep up hope when everything around you just seems to be just tough? Like that little glimmer of hope sometimes can be so hard to latch on to. Your mind is going to, to scream at you. This is worthless. There's not much hope. The bills keep racking up. The pay isn't there. The cost of everything is just inflating at expenses that I can't even fathom. I can't budget anymore. We're not going to have enough to make just the basic ends meet. How am I going to do this? Put your hope. And he gives us two ways to set our hope completely on the grace of Jesus Christ and his return. The first one, he says, is have your minds ready. Prepare your minds for action. That's good. Like for me, I guess when I, when I face struggles, it's so easy to just allow the mind to take over. This, this war is going on inside, and you don't even realize it because it's, it's not physical. It's not in front of you, right? Like, if somebody were to walk up to, to you or me right now and say, I'm going to beat you up, you're going to be ready, right? Like, we're going to go. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to go on the offense. But when it comes against our mind, and the enemy is just, just knows every little punch to throw inside of our brains and our emotions, we're not ready. And so Peter here is saying, be ready. Literally, what he says here is, gird up the loins of your mind. Right? Like, like get ready. The fight is on. Be prepared. Get ready. This is war that you're coming upon. The attacks in your mind are real. So be intentional. Think carefully. Be active. Don't become passive in your thinking. Be intentional. And don't misplace your hope. How easy it is for us to say, well, I'm going to get that promotion. Or that person's going to get into power and he's going to correct everything that this administration did wrong. Or this boss is, is on his way out. And once he gets out, then things will be better. 
or next semester, I won't have that person in class anymore. I won't have that teacher. Things will get better. That's misplaced hope. I mean, sometimes we need it, right, to get through that day. But true hope cannot be on situations or on people. The moment it goes to situations or people, you are dependent on something else. And I'm going to tell you this as clear as I possibly can. This world is not anything that you can put your hope on because tomorrow is never guaranteed. We don't know what tomorrow will be. Just ask Ukraine, right? They had no clue until the war was on and they were fighting. I mean, I'm sure they had little inklings, but no different than any other nation that was doing their work one day and the next day they had bombs coming over them. We just don't know what tomorrow may bring. And so we need to put our hope where it belongs. Because if the economy goes up and down, so does our hope, right? If people are good to us one day and terrible to us the next, our hope goes up and down. Situations and people will let you down. So put your hope where it needs to be. And then the second thing he gives in this very short little intro to our thoughts today is to be sober-minded. Or I like to look at it as self-controlled, right? Sober-minded or self-controlled, having control inside. Let's put our hope where it belongs. Let's have control over what we are truly seeing around us, knowing where to put our hope, where to be guarded and not allow ourselves to get too caught up in things in this world, the people, the places, situations. And so, first and foremost, if you want to make a difference where you are, if you want to show the love of Jesus, even to the most horrible person around you, have your hope where it needs to be. Not on whether or not you win them to Jesus or they stop doing what they're doing to you today and become a better person. Like, we are doing what we're doing because our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is in Jesus, and he has a place ready for us. And so whatever we face today, whether things change or don't change, we're not going to stop doing what is right. Our hope is where it belongs. So as chosen exiles, we are intentionally setting our hope on Jesus. Then Peter turns his attention from thinking into being, right? So he, first of all, attacks the thinking, right? Put your hope where it belongs. Get your mind placed properly. And then he turns his attention to being. Who are we? Let's read verses 14 and 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Here it is. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now, you may be thinking, Okay, that's not being, that's doing right there. No, it, this is a, a reference, right? This is a reference to the Old Testament where God looks down upon his people and he says, you are my children. Be like me. It's being that he's talking about, right? You are set apart. 
to be a light just like me. Like you are my my conduit through you. I am showing the world the beauty of God. You are the light. By the way you live, you are light. That seems way like beyond anything of what we could ever imagine. But in Christ, right, this is not what you have done. You, you couldn't, couldn't make this happen, right? Not, not what you've done or how awesome you are, how, you know, you don't do those evil things, right? And that's where Israel messed up is they couldn't be God's representative because they couldn't act like him. It was impossible because they're human beings, right? They, they don't do what God does naturally. He's the only perfect holy one. But he, he looks down at us now and he says, be holy for I am holy. He's not asking you to be perfect like him. He's looking at you as a follower of Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, by living a perfect life, by rising up from the dead and conquering that death and that sin that we deserve to experience for all of eternity, he rose up, he conquered it all, and now his blood washes over us and all God sees is his son in us. And now we are holy because he is holy. We are now holy. We have a right relationship with him. We are set apart. We are in him. Now, just stop there for just a brief second. So he's calling us to love where we live, to love the people where we live. Notice that it begins in our thinking. It comes out through who we are. We are his children. He calls us by name. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are well pleased. Like he said to the, the son, the day he called him out to go to ministry, he set him apart. We are now his sons. Called out to do his work on earth. What a gift. What a prize. We've, up until this point, we've done nothing, right? Other than just get our minds in line with who we are and setting our hope on that promise that he gave. Like, we're doing what should be easy. Focusing on the promise. Realizing who we are as, as his sons and daughters. And then he turns in verse 17. And he talks about our conduct. Now, it gets to be our doing. Let's read Verse 17, if you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. That might seem overwhelming, but he goes on. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are God. This is not a paralyzing thing. 
this is not something that, man, you blow it, you're done. Right? Transform our thinking to putting our hope where it belongs. We are now sons and daughters because of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension to the Father. But now our doing comes through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus went to the Father and he said, you stay here. For I'm sending the helper who will remind you of all these things I've taught you. And he will empower you to be my witness. You're not left alone. It's not about you doing this to prove yourself or to act a certain way so that you won't be rejected. God knows you. He knows that you're a sinner. He knows that your perfection will not come until the day you are in his presence for all of eternity. He knows these things. He's not calling you to do something that you cannot do. It's impossible. He's giving you the power of the Holy Spirit. And you are to conduct yourself in such a way that you're not relying on yourself. You're going to him. Right? Christianity isn't about of a set of rules and, and regulations of how you are to live. And it, it comes across so often from both teachers and from, from church members and, and on and on. Like, why weren't you at Bible study? And make you feel like, well, I'm not a follower anymore because I didn't go to the Bible study or come to the prayer service or whatever it is. Like, that's, that's not what it is. Because of what Jesus has done, because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we respond. And you're not comparing yourself to anybody else, but to what Jesus has called you to. Here's what I know. It's not about church attendance. It's not about having a set time every day to read your Bible for this amount of time and to pray for this amount of time. Those are all responses that are good. But they are not the determining factor. It is the fact that you have a desire and a heart to go towards Christ. That is what conducting yourself out of reverence means. You can go to church three times a week. You can pray every single day at a set time for a set for a set time for the set amount of time that you have you have thought is good for a follower of Christ. You can do all those things. You can read your Bible ten chapters a day, whatever, two chapters a day it is for you. But that doesn't make your conduct done out of reverence. That's out of duty. There's a difference. Out of reverence, out of love, out of passion for God, where is your heart? Is it striving for him? Because if you have these things set up correctly, if your hope is on God in his place of eternity with you, if it's on that, if you understand your, your, your place as, as a follower of Christ, as a son or as a daughter in him, and you know that he is your father and he, you know that he loves you because of Christ and not because of what you've done, but because of Christ, then you have this, this flow of my hope is in what I have to look forward to in all of eternity. I am a son or I am a daughter 
of the Most High, and he loves me. He calls out, and he says, I'm well pleased in you because of my son. I see him through you. The response is out of reverence and out of love, a desire to do what he wants for you. That's what Peter is setting up here for the very last section that we started with. Where we read, through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in our God. Right? That's verse 21. It's so good. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, right? You are now pure. It's nothing you've done. You just put your hope in that, right? Hope in the future. Hope in him as your savior and the fact that you are a son and daughter. Now you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, from a pure love for one another constantly. Because you've been born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable through the living, enduring word of God. That is so good. Because you have put yourself in this imperishable hope in the future, hope in the reality that you are his follower, you are his son or daughter. You are now living a life of love for one another continually. Now this, this is mind-blowing. This is an agape love that we're talking about. Agape is not some brotherly love, some mutual thing. Like this is a selfless, other-centered love. This is a love that God can only give. Mind-blowing, right? This is, this is a God love that he is calling us to. And it's constant. The literal word here means stretched out. It's powerful. It's come because we have a purified heart. We have a heart that is pushing away from the things of this world. And we're pushing towards Jesus. The reality of our future hope, our courage hope, and the reality of being his son or daughter. Living out a heart for him, for others. That's what Peter is talking about here. So just like the Israelites were called to represent him to all those around them, go back to Jeremiah and what we read last week, they were exiles. God called them to seek the welfare of where they were, to see it thrive. We are called to see the world around us thrive. So today, where does this leave you? It's a great basic message, right? knowing who we are in Christ, knowing our future hope, allowing him to empower us and to live it out in this world. But tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to see that classmate, teacher, coworker, boss, neighbor, parent, sibling, <laughs> bully. And you're going to have to face this reality that this isn't something that you are capable of doing. Can I encourage you a couple of 
basic thoughts as we close today. One, I can't emphasize this enough. Get along with God. Right? Like, this kind of life isn't lived because you're constantly doing. Everything up until the third point was talking all about you and God. Your hope in Him, that unwavering future, your understanding of who you are in Christ, that you are a son, you are a daughter. Like, that has nothing to do with what you're doing. It isn't lived out until you can get yourself grounded in Him. This world is right now so out of control, chaotic. And we don't know what tomorrow may bring. In fact, most people don't even want to think about it because it's too unpredictable and, and hard to know. How do you plan for the future? You can't. All you can do is trust. And he will get you through. And so as you think about those people, how to love them, how to act as a light for Jesus in this world, it takes you grounding yourself, spending the right amount of time where you're just having reflection time with him, reading some passages, having a good little devotional to help you understand what's going on, maybe a commentary to help you understand what's going on here and how you can apply it to your life. And just allowing him, and being honest and real with him and telling him, and then letting him speak to you. Take time. I don't have a set amount of time that I feel like would be best for you. You know what's best. So make what works today happen. And then surround yourself with people who encourage you and build you up. I can't emphasize this enough either because it is when you have safe people around you that you start opening up and you have a conversation and you feel like people understand you and they help you and they don't need to tell you how, how to live. They just walk with you and you're not alone. The enemy knows exactly how to destroy each one of us. He wants to alienate us. He wants to make you feel alone. And if he can set you up to where you are alone and you have nobody with you, he will destroy you. One thought at a time. One action at a time. He is, he is the enemy for a reason. He is a predator for a reason. And like all predators, they know how to alienate their prey. He knows you well. He has come to seek, kill, and destroy. So when you have people around you, that is your protection against the enemy. We need one another. We're not people created to be alone. We're created to be in community. So find a community. Surround yourself with safe people that you can open up with and you can know that they've got your back and they care. If that's something that has been destroyed in your life and you don't know anybody like that, I'm praying for you. You reach out to me and I would love to be praying for you so that you can find that right person or right group, because it's essential. And the moment you think that there's not a safe person, the moment you think that you can't do that anymore, is the moment the enemy has won. He has isolated you, and there's no way you're willing to get out. He's won. Don't let him win. Don't 
he has in Christ. That's what he wants to do. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus on that note that every single person listening, Father, they need to be strengthened. They need to be encouraged. They need to be comforted. Father, that's what the church is all about. We are called to strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another. And I pray that every person listening will find a group of people, whether it's large or small or maybe just a couple, Father, that they can trust and they can pour their hearts out to. I realize that there's not a single group that's perfect. Well, nobody is. But, Father, we need to be open and vulnerable with others. So I pray that for every person listening, and I pray also that they will be spending time with you and that they can trust you and know that you are good. Father, open up their hearts now. Reveal to them what they need to know so that they can be a light to this world. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Nexus Church family, for joining us today. And I'm excited because next week we conclude this series with talking about how do we not just love the community we're a part of, not just pour out God's love towards them and serve them and watch over them, but then we need to bring the message of hope to those around us. We'll see you again real soon.